Well, first chapel, first chapel service of 2022. You know, I was sitting in my office there a few minutes ago, and I looked over to my left, and I have these big calendar pages, one per year, so that I could plan out things like revivals and missions conference. And I looked at the date, and uh, it said 2021 on it. And I said, oh my, because I'd put six of those up on my wall in 2016. So 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. They're all gone. It's no more good anymore. And when I put those up, I remember thinking, we'll never get to 2021. The Lord will be back by then. Now you say, well, Pastor, you're wrong. You're wrong. See, you're wrong. Well, I don't look at it that way because the Bible tells us that we're to be looking unto Jesus and that we need to have this hope, the great Christian hope in us, that he could come back any day. And so what I see is, well, there's six years gone and we're closer now than we've ever been to the coming of the Savior. And that's the attitude I think we have to carry. I don't know. What do you think? Will Jesus come back within the next 50 years? What do you think? Does it seem possibly likely? Yeah. Well, we were saying that in the 70s. That Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. We've got we to gotta get to work. And truly, like that was 50 years ago. Right? And so, here 50 years later, we're still saying that. But there's nothing wrong with that. That's the way it ought to be. But uh, my, how time flies. Eh? So here we are, 2022. By the way, I'm going to need some more calendars to go up on my wall there. So if you could print me off another six years worth. Of course, we'll never make it to 2028, right? Of course not, because Jesus will come back before then. And that's our attitude. Well, I'm excited to be able to bring the first message in the first chapel of 2022. And I'd like to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Matthew, chapter number 7. Matthew chapter number 7, page 10 in your New Testament. You're wondering how I knew that. Well, when you're a pastor, you know, you sometimes know things that others don't. All right. Well, I'd like to ask you to read two verses of Scripture with me. Would it be too much to ask you to stand? Verses 28 and 29. All right. So this is here we are right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. One of the greatest, if not the greatest sermon ever preached by the Lord Jesus. And we'll read the last two verses, 28 and 29. Let's begin. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings. The people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. I'd like you to notice that little phrase, one having authority. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Heavenly Father, help us to understand what this means. Lord, we thank you that here we are um, breaking forth into this new year 
and it comes sort of on the heels of some COVID sickness, but that's okay. Uh, it might be our last year. It well might be. Um, for sure, we are the closest generation to seeing the rapture and the coming of our Lord in the air. So please encourage our hearts today with this message and help us, Lord, to uh, be maybe a bit bolder in our presentation of the gospel, in our expectancy of good and great things from the hand of God. So bless, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> One having authority. One having authority. You know, there are not a lot of people today that care for authority. That's the generation in which we find ourselves in. Uh, on the news every day, there's protests and violence and upset and anger and bitterness toward governments and toward employers, uh, toward Facebook and um, Microsoft. And um, uh, there's just everywhere unrest. And people are not content. Um, authority is uh, something that's, that's almost despised um, these days. Now, the word authority, when we talk about authority, we're talking about essentially power. That's the whole nature of authority, is power. Um, maybe this happened to you when you were small, but uh, maybe it didn't, but possibly um, when you were little, um, mom said to you, uh, uh, go outside and tell Bobby to, to come in and wash up for, for lunch. So you said, okay, mom, and you went out the door and you found uh, your brother Bobby. He says, Bobby, time to come in for lunch. And Bobby says, oh, yes, says who? Says mom. You see, you went out not in your own authority. You went out in someone else's authority, right? Is this a familiar story? It often is, you know. In families where there's a few children, one of the parents will say to one of the siblings, uh, go out and tell your brothers and sisters or go out and tell uh, you know, little Bobby to, to get in here on the double. And sometimes, unfortunately, children lord it over the other. You know, they, they go out now with this big, puffed-up you know, sense of superiority and says, Bobby, Mom says you have to get in here on the double. Well, you can tell what kind of attitudes behind those words. That's totally different from going out and say, Bobby, Mommy asked if you would please come in the house. Totally different attitude, right? So the idea of authority is the idea of power. Power, or let's say the right to command, but it doesn't stop there. Authority not only has the right to command, but authority has the right to enforce that command as well. And we see that in uh, the laws of our land. We have, um, for example, um, uh, the, the speed limit is uh, 50 kilometers. Okay? Well, says who? Well, says the authorities in our city. They're the ones that have the authority, the elected authority, to post what they think is a proper and safe speed limit on this road. Huh. Well, we'll see about that. And so we do 80 and then there's a policeman waiting down the road with a radar gun, and he pulls us over. And we say, what are you doing? Do you know how fast you were going? Well, what business is it of yours? 
Can you see where this might end up? <laughs> and nowhere good. But authority has the power to command and it has the right to enforce it. And here we have Jesus. And in verse 29, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. What a difference. The Jews were used to hearing the scribes stand up and say, well, uh, this is what you know it says here in this scripture and and this rabbi over here says this about that and and here's my own little sprinkling of thoughts and so on and and take it home with you and that was sort of the idea there how the scribes would teach but Jesus came and said no this is the way it is folks and if you do this there's the consequence if you do this here's the blessing and so on and they were just astonished they'd never heard preaching like this before and we still have that true today in many churches you know a man of the cloth will stand up behind some big lectern and for the next 15 minutes he'll give a little homily on this and that and perhaps he'll there can be a verse of scripture in there and uh, he'll say uh, uh, in the name of the father and of the son and uh, away you go and there's a lot of that going on and then there's churches like ours and we don't clobber people but we say, thus saith the Lord. This is what God has to say on the matter. And that is a two-edged sword because there are people who say, yes, I want to hear what God has to say. And then there are others that say, oh yeah, we'll see about that. And you get that kind of attitude. In my humble opinion, that's one reason why a lot of people leave churches. They go to a church and they sit there and say, Wow, I like what he said there. Boy, that's great. Pastor, that was a great message. This is a great church. And then they come back the next Sunday and they hear another message and they say, right on, Pastor, preach it. That was great. And then they come back the next Sunday and then the pastor happens to speak about a sin that they're, you know, involved with. And then they say, oh, well, huh. I knew it was one of those churches. I'm out of here, you know. He's stepping on toes. Well, preach the word in season. What? Out of season, yeah. We need to be faithful. So we get to this matter here of authority. Now, today, authority is often challenged. That's why we have political unrest and we've got riots and things like that. Now, granted, sometimes their authority has a problem. There are certain government authorities that do things that really they shouldn't do. And it's outside of their delegated authority and they, they, they do things and take advantages. Britney Spears, you know, that singer girl, her and her sister are at, at odds. Her sister's now apparently coming out with some book. I didn't know anything about this. I read it in the news yesterday that um, Jamie Spears has come out with this book and saying derogatory things about her sister, Britney. I gotta get the names right here. Anyhow, these two sisters are squabbling now in the public. And Jamie, no, Brittany, <laughs> has uh, gone through a lawyer and issued an official cease and desist order against her sister to stop saying derogatory things. Otherwise, I guess it's going to be big lawsuit city. Well, in the meanwhile, both of these girls, they have a father who had sort of taken control somehow of their lives. I don't know how all this came to be, but there was some legal beagle way of dad got in control. And over a few years, it looked like uh, 
he had siphoned off six million dollars <laughs> for himself, I guess in certain fees <laughs> to oversee his daughters or whatever. Now that's a big, big horrible mess. But you see, there's a case there of the father who it looks like has overstepped his authority and done things he shouldn't have done. And this kind of thing unfortunately happens. And um, shame, shame on those who do it. Uh, but God, he doesn't, you know, no one gets away with it. God is not mocked, right? That's, that's the truth. Well, we come to Jesus and I would like to suggest to you something. When it says here that he taught them as one having authority, I want to suggest to you today that Jesus is his own authority. You don't get higher than Jesus because he's the creator. The Jesus of the New Testament is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. In the days of creation, there was Jesus creating. When he led the children of Israel out, when he fed them and, and gave them a water to drink, that was all Jesus. Remember the rock in the wilderness? That was Jesus. Um, the Bible. Jesus wrote this book. It's, it's written of God. Now, when Jesus was on earth, the Jews seemed to be constantly questioning and rejecting his authority. And people still do that today, of course. Uh, we're in Matthew. Let's go to Matthew 21, shall we? Well, a few pages over. Matthew 21. And let's see. We'll look at verse uh, number 23. There we go. Matthew 21, 23. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee? this authority. So there's the chief priests and the elders getting right in Jesus' face and absolutely questioning his authority. Uh, Jesus was one having authority. That's what we just read in Matthew 7, 29. He taught them as one having authority and the reason he taught them as one having authority is because he was one with authority. And that's why he was able to teach as one having authority. Because he had all of the, the power, he had the right to command, he had the right to enforce what it was that he commanded. You know, as you look at the life of Jesus on earth and examine his teachings, his teachings reinforce or prove this idea that Jesus has authority. His teachings prove it. His miracles certainly proved it. Every funeral that Jesus ever attended, he broke it up. He would raise the dead. There was Lazarus, of course. I mean, that's a famous one. But then there was this little girl, 12-year-old Jairus' daughter. She died. He raised her up. Another widow had her son on the, the burial pyre. I guess they were going to go out and burn him or something. And Jesus comes by and, and he raises up this guy. Every funeral Jesus ever attended. You know, boy, if he did that today, what would happen if he walked into funeral parlors and things? Well, I think that people would be ex 
extremely excited and extremely mad at him. The funeral business, you know, would be very upset with Jesus. Uh, the heavenly father proved that Jesus had authority. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So we have testimony. When Jesus sent out the 70, he sent them out and he gave them power and authority, even over devils and things like that, and disease. Uh, when Jesus walked on the water, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. And Jesus had the authority to say, okay, come. Now, anyone, of course, could have said, come. But what would have happened to Peter? You know, there'd be no Peter. But Jesus said, come. And he stepped out. And no one else has ever experienced this. You know, he's, Peter is the only one. So when we get to heaven, we're going to want to crowd around him. And say, okay, now what was it like? What did it feel like? And he's going to tell, well, I'll sit down. I'll tell you all about it. But what an experience. Jesus had the authority to say, you may walk on water, come to me. Um, when Jesus sent two of the disciples ahead of him on the night in which he was betrayed, you know, he, he had the, uh, the Last Supper there with the disciples. He sent two of the disciples on ahead and uh, they prepared the room. They had the, the authority. They were like going in Jesus' authority. Um, that's pretty exciting when you read these things. Jesus was one having authority. Now, here's my point. When you and I do Jesus' bidding, when we have Jesus' word on something, then all of a sudden we found the authority. We found the power. We found the right to command. We found the, the, the right to enforce. Well, the Lord does the enforcing, but you get the idea. It's like when mom says, go out in the backyard and tell Bobby to come in. Now you've been commissioned with the word of authority. This is mom speaking. And so out the door you go. And uh, you've, you've got a mission now. You're a missionary. You've got an errand. And if some of the other kids say, hey, come over here and play with us. Not now. <laughs> you know, after I have a job to do, I have a mission in life. I gotta go find Bobby. Where's Bobby? Anyone seen Bobby? What do you want Bobby for? Well, I got a message for him from mom. Oh, I think he's over there. And so you find him and complete your mission. And here in a similar fashion here, when Jesus tells us to do something, we have that authority. Now I wanna show you an interesting verse. It's in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're all Bible college experts here. So we know where that is, Ecclesiastes. Where's my index? Ecclesiastes, and we'll go to chapter 8. All right, let's read together one verse. Verse number 4. Let's read out loud. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? You get that idea? When the king says, this is what I want done. Well, there's power in the word of the king. And who on earth, or at least in that kingdom, who is able to stand up and say, ah, so what? You know, who does he think he is? The king? Well, yeah, he does. And where the word of a king is, 
his power. Well, how much more in the word of God Almighty, the creator to whom everyone has to answer one day. He is the king of kings, Lord of lords, right? And so you see the kind of authority that's there for the, the Christian who will go in the name of Jesus, who will take this authority. Jesus is one having authority. But as we get in line and do his will, all of a sudden, we have authority. Now, it's, it's not our authority, you understand. We're going on uh, an errand, a mission to go find Bobby, but we're going in mom's authority. Here, we go and seek the lost, and we, we seek to do God's will. And we're not doing it in our authority, our power. We're doing it in his. But there's still power. There's still authority. His authority. Uh, you read in the, in the scriptures and you find some of these uh, um, gr great saints of God. They, they were able to do great, amazing things, wonderful, powerful things. Lately, I've been reading about Moses and how God found him in the backside of the desert looking after the sheep. And remember the burning bush? And he says uh, to him, take off your sandals. You know, this is holy ground and all that. And he tells Moses he wants him to go back and face Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Well, of course, you know, Moses, he put up these excuses. And there's four or five excuses, four of them anyhow. And one of the things that God said to him, what is that in thine hand? And Moses answered, a rod. And he says, throw it to the ground. He threw it to the ground now. I don't think it was a little stick, one feet, a little rod this long. You know, a bit, bit, bit. I think it was a big seven-foot rod, maybe eight foot, uh, because he had to sort of reach over and, you know, tap a sheep or something. Hey, I'm talking to you, sort of thing. So he had this rod. So he threw it down. The thing became, you know, this crazy big snake, a serpent, and Moses runs from it. And God says, "Whoa, come back here!" And he says, "Take it by the tail," and he grabbed it. And it became a rod again. Now, if you could have one of those, don't you think you'd have a little fun with that? Say, hey, come over here. I want to show you something. <laughs> you throw down the rod. It becomes a snake. And everyone takes off. <laughs> and you reach down and pick that thing back up. God, they had a lot of fun in serving the Lord. I think Moses actually had a little bit of fun with that. I saw something that I thought, oh, i got to have one of those. It's a little box about this big, and it's got a sliding lid. And as you slide the lid back, there's a, a, a wire, and there's a rubbery uh, little spider, black spider, about that big, uh, glued on the end of the wire. So as you pull this thing back, this little spider jumped right out at your finger, and it showed people sc screaming and dropping, oh, you know, big joke. So I thought, i got to have one of those. got to have one of those. No, no, I... Kidding, but there is a sense of enjoyment in knowing that you're going in the authority of God. It's God's authority because Jesus is definitely one who has authority. And when we go in his name, we have that authority. So we're God's servants. We do his bidding. And when we, ha when we do so, we actually not only have his authority, but we also have his resources the resources of God. Remember, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. 
the will of God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. Now, because of their sin, God says, okay, you know, you're not going into the promised land. You're going to stay here for 40 years. And that was God's will. And all through the 40 years, he fed them and gave them to drink. And their clothes didn't wear out. Their sandals didn't wear out. <coughs> their foot never even, you know, swole up in the hot sands of the desert. So there's the grace of God keeping them. And then when the time came, they went into the promised land and there's more of the grace of God. Well, we are going to turn back to uh, Matthew chapter 20. See if we can find that again. And I just sort of point this out just to, to, show, to show us that what I mentioned earlier is very scriptural. When we go in the Lord's authority, we, we're not to lord it over people. All of us, as we live for Jesus, we have the authority from the one who has authority. It's like going in mom's power, you know, to go find Bobby. So in Matthew chapter 20, uh, I want you to see verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your, what's that word? Minister. The idea is sort of a servant. So yes, we have authority from Jesus, from God Almighty. We have authority, but we do it in a servant sort of way. And often we use the expression um, servant leadership. So there needs to be a humility. And if you find someone who's really trying to lord it over God's heritage, somehow they didn't read this verse, that we're to hold the truth in love and we're to hold this uh, authority in servanthood. So I think it's very, very important that we you know, keep that in mind here. So if you have God's word on a matter, then you have God's authority. Something that the devil loves to question us about is on our salvation. And he goes after new Christians. They've received Christ and then the devil's right there. Oh yeah, you, th you think that by saying a few words, you're going to get all your sins forgiven? Oh yeah, you think by making some little Sunday school prayer, now you're going to go to heaven? And the devil's right there to challenge uh, new believers. And a lot of them, they, they fall for this challenge and they're scared. Well, maybe I, I wasn't sincere enough. Maybe, I don't know, I need to beat myself or something and show my humility and my, my sincerity before God. Maybe I just need to keep praying this over and over every day of my life until I die. And they never have victory over this. And what they need is assurance that God has saved them. And that only comes from God's word. When he says he will never leave us or forsake us. And... Uh, we have been passed from death to life. So there's many other verses there, but it's that idea. If we have God's word on a matter, then we have his authority. Um, let's take a look at one more scripture, and we'll turn to the right to the book of Titus. 
Titus is hiding behind Timothy. And we go to chapter 2. And uh, Titus was a Greek preacher. He was the pastor of the church at Crete. And Paul was encouraging him, giving him some pastoral instruction. But look at the last verse of chapter 2, verse 15. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all, what's that word? Authority. Let no man despise thee. And so here he was as the pastor of a church. And listen, I want you to keep Carl and Cassie in your prayers daily. They need our prayers. Carl's never been a pastor before. And the devil's going to challenge him. Even up in Porcupine Plain, the devil knows his postal code. And the devil will bring challenges against Carl. He's a brand new pastor. And he's got no pastoral experience. And he is in the devil's crosshairs. So be praying for Carl, that he be encouraged, that he have the right wisdom and the right spirit, that he keep going to God. But he's there in the will of God, so he has God's authority. But the devil doesn't want him to know that. Now, I, again, I'm not saying that Carl needs to stand up and scream and yell at people, this is what you'll do and this is what you'll do and this is how you're going to vote. And, like, that's insane. But he does have God's authority to do certain things. If he's God's man, he's got God's authority. And here, Paul admonished Titus saying, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. The hardest thing as a parent is when you have to discipline your child. You'd rather take the discipline yourself. You love your child, but the children, they need a little bit of um, correction once in a while as, as they're growing up. And it's your job as a mom or dad to provide that. Not just to feed them and clothe them, but to provide also for their mental, emotional, and spiritual needs. And we need to guide them, you know, in the correct direction. And sometimes when children, you know, go way out of bounds, uh, they need to be corrected. Sometimes by words. Sometimes you've got to confine them to their prison cell. Go to your room. <laughs> sometimes you've got to do something else. But um, at the right time, you have to exercise the right kind of authority. It's like a rebuke to the children. And that's, and that's hard to do. You, know, you love your kids. You want to have happy times. And, well, listen, you're going to have babies. You're going to have to change diapers. Um, they say if you're going to have an omelet, you've got to break a few eggs. So if you're going to raise children, there's going to be a time you're going to have to sort of take them to one side and correct some, some bad behavior. And in the ministry also, it happens where there's someone that you're going to have to deal with. And I've had to do it. Um, it's not pleasant. I, I take no joy in having to set someone down and talk to them or put someone out of the church. I take no joy in having to do that. Um, even if they're a bit of a monster like Trevor. <laughs> because I think that Trevor really has got a, a nice side to him. And I think he could be a great Christian. But he's definitely going the devil's way. And... Uh, He's a destroyer of the flock. So got to get him out. Got to get him out. And some days you got to cut off a finger in order to save the whole hand. So unfortunately you got to do that sort of thing. But the um, point is that there is an authority. It's not ours. It's God's authority. 
And when we find his, his authority <clears throat> in the scriptures, we rest upon his word. We just sang standing on the promises. We just sang that. And that's what we're doing as we live for the Lord as Christians, as we serve the Lord as his servants. We're standing on his word. That's where our authority is. That's where our power is from. That's why John the Baptist was able to tell Herod, what you're doing is wrong, sir. Remember, he got involved with another man's wife, Herod. Do you remember this? And that's how he ultimately lost his head. But does that mean John the Baptist was wrong? No, he preached the word in season, out of season. And it was sure out of season that day when he said to Herod, you are committing sin. Now, that doesn't mean that we're to go to our prime minister, you know, and stand outside his home and shake a finger at him. But in that particular case, John the Baptist was doing the will of the Lord. He had the authority to do what he did. And boy, it really shook Herod to the bones. Uh, Herod really got the message. Too bad about Herod, though. You and I have the authority to do the will of God. Whatever God's will is for our lives, we have the authority to do it. When God says go, we can go. When he says stay, we stay. When he says stand or sit, whatever. We have the authority to do God's will. At, at work, of course, we need to, to do God's will and be honest and loyal and faithful uh, and industrious. At home, we have the will of God to um, find and follow the chain of command in the home that God has put us, um, our devotions. We have the authority of God in prayer. And again, that's something the devil doesn't want us to know, is how much authority we have. And we don't realize that we are a whole lot stronger than what we think we are. We have a whole lot more power. Sitting inside the church family, when the church family gets together, there is nuclear, atomic power in prayer. But we don't realize it. We don't realize that when we pray, God actually hears. And it takes a lot of prayer to move the arm of God from point A to point B, but it really works. And for the Christians who will stand upon the authority, they will see the answer to their prayer. God will delight in giving them their desires as they pray and stand upon the promises. Well, we got a problem. The world recognizes no absolute authority. The world sees authority as changing all the time. One man comes and, and goes, another man comes and goes, and it's whatever the political you know, whims of that day. Everything changes from year to year, and that's humanism. That's the whole idea of humanism, where man is supreme, but you know what we once believed 100 years ago, we don't believe anymore. And 100 years from now, what we believe now, we won't believe 100 years from now. That's the whole premise of humanism. It's based on human. And we, we run into a problem with that because we believe in an absolute. The Bible is an absolute. We can go to a source and find out what is right and what is wrong. Uh, there was a day that Sunday shopping was wrong. And um, if you opened your store on a Sunday, you'd get fined. You'd have to go to court. And if you kept doing it, they could close you down out of business. So it was wrong. It was against the law to open your doors on a, on a Sunday, unless you were a drugstore or something like that. But now, everyone, everyone has their doors open on Sundays, right? 
It's not against the law at all. There was a time during Prohibition, now I'm thinking in the United States, where it was against the law to buy and consume uh, alcohol. And they had speakeasies and underground market and black market that that stuff was going on. But officially it was against the law. And it was that way for uh, 25, 30 years or something like that until they finally repealed it and they changed it. And then the bars all opened up and everyone went out and got drunk. Now it was legal. Before it was illegal. It was wrong. Now it's right. It's okay. But, you know, not in the eyes of God. God has an absolute. That never changes. And that's the authority we stand upon. Now, my, my, what I'm saying is this. This idea of humanism has found its way into the church. So we have Christian humanism now. And so when we preach the word of God, we have people saying, well, I don't know if I like that. I mean, that may be all right for some Christians, but I feel differently, you know, about these things. And take, for example, the charismatic movement. Um, tongues is usually the first, you know, uh, goalpost in, 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 the, in the charismatic movement. You get charismatics together. Uh, when did you start speaking in tongues? Oh, I started speaking in tongues 25 years ago. When did you start speaking in tongues? I started speaking in tongues five years ago. And tongues becomes like a point of connection and contact. But when we stand up and say, hold on, let's see what the Word of God has to say about it. Well, we find out that, that tongues was a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. So it's not meant for believers. And they, wait a minute right there. I disagree with that. I never had such wonderful time in prayer as when I started speaking in tongues. So don't tell me tongues is not for the believer because I am so blessed and encouraged and built up by it. And we look back at the scripture, well, let's see if we can find where it says that tongues here is for the believer and we find we can't find it. Or what about the verses in Corinthians? Yeah, just examine them carefully in the context. You'll find that Paul was criticizing them. He did that to the Corinthians two or three times for things that they were involved with. They made shambles of the legitimate New Testament gift of tongues. You'll find also that Jews were present. Uh, the way some charismatics uh, speak today, you'd think that tongues was all through the whole book of Acts. Everyone spoke in tongues. It's only three times you'll find tongues in the book of Acts. And each one of those times there were unbelieving, there were Jews and unbelieving Jews present. Definitely, tongues was a sign. It was a sign gift right back in the days of Isaiah when Isaiah prophesied destruction on Jerusalem, on the Jews. He said, when you start hearing people speaking in a strange language, you'll know that judgment's on your doorstep. Well, what happened in the New Testament? For a number of years, the Jews were hearing the tongues, the tongues, the tongues. Did you know the Corinthian church was right next door to the Jewish synagogue? Did you know that? And so they often heard the tongues there. They often heard it. What happened finally in 70 AD? Judgment came. Bang! Israel ceased. There was no more Israel. Judgment finally hit. After that, historically, there's no more tongues. There's no more historical record of tongues except for a couple of cultish kind of offshoot groups. They were the only ones. Mother Anne Lee and the Shakers. I don't think there's any more Shakers now. That was a popular cult religion for a couple hundred years. But Mother Ann Lee, she would get all her people together and they would shake, shake, shake in their services. And that's how they got the name the Shakers. 
But she taught some really weird things too. I won't even get into it. But she spoke in tongues. You also find that Mormons speak in tongues. You'll also find that Muslims speak in tongues. You'll also find that the witch doctor in deepest darkest speaks in tongues. You'll also find that tongues are being spoken all over the world, these different groups. But anyhow, I, I digress and I shouldn't. But what I'm, I'm saying here is that we have this idea of like a Christian humanist where now we decide what is right and what is wrong. We hear something preached in the Bible that we like, all right, then that's right. We hear something preached in the Bible that we don't like, oh no, that must be wrong. Well, that's humanism. Our job as students of the Bible is to find out what exactly did God say? What exactly did he say? So we have to use the literal, grammatical, historical, common sense method of letting the Bible speak for itself. And then we change our thinking to God's thinking. I was talking to a man yesterday, a Christian man, and he asked me, he said, can I, can I ask you a question? Because he knew I was in the ministry. I said, sure. He said, uh, what's, uh, what you, what's your opinion on divorce? And then he stopped himself and he says, no, wait a minute. He says, I, I, I don't want your opinion. I, I, I want you know, God's opinion in the Bible. And I agreed with him. I told him, my opinion is of no value. It's what God has to say. And so I was able to, to help him with something. But um, his question was, what's your opinion? Oh, no, I want to know God's opinion. And that, that's good. And that's what we need to do with everything in the scriptures. What's God's opinion? Well, we must have God's answer on it. It's the only authority we've got. And God tells us in... Galatians 6, that God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, right? So let's put our nose to the, the grindstone here this year and find out what does God have to say on this subject and this subject and this subject. Let's find out not, not what man has to say, let's find out exactly what God has to say. And then when we stand upon what God has to say, then we have authority just like Jesus was one with authority. He has authority. So we too will have his authority. You know, we'll put our trust in God and we'll be afraid of no man. Let's pray. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.